0: it
1: jackson
0: Jackson doesn't think anything i say is noteworthy (laughs) (laughs) Uh, anyways but today we're going to be going to luke chapter one and just like last week we we just read through the story of john the Baptist's birth and then John the Baptist's first message. We're going to do the exact same thing with Jesus. We're going to read through Jesus' birth and Jesus' first message. And the same way that last time it was kind of a casual, like, we read the story and then talked about it. We're doing the same thing this week because it's just a really large section of the Bible. And so I'm not going to have time to say that much anyway. But there's going to be things that I know. There's going to be things that we talk about. But again, I think it's valuable for you to know the story. And I think that there are some important lessons to be learned from it. So, as soon as you're at Luke chapter Mm 1, if you want to read verses 26 to
1: 33. Okay. In the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth, to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David. And the virgin's name was Mary, and he came to her and said, Greetings, O favored one, the Lord is with you. which she is greatly troubled at the saying and tried to discern what sort of greeting this might be.
0: So some important things to kind of like note in this, obviously Gabriel, this is the same angel that talked to Zachariah in the last message when he was saying that John the Baptist was gonna be born. And some things that are important to note. In verse 27, it says that Mary was a virgin and she was betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph. So a betrothal is kind of like a really, really intense engagement, where today, if you get engaged to someone, you can like break off the engagement and no one gives two craps. It's kind of like how that goes. Mm -hmm. It's basically just dating part two. Um, But back then, if you were betrothed to someone, you were legally married to them. But it was this period where for like a year, you would be betrothed and not married and you wouldn't like rock out. And that was essentially to verify that the the woman was a virgin going in. So kind of shotgun weddings that you imagine in the United States, not the deal. Um, That would happen in Jewish times. So when it says that she's betrothed, they're not married yet. But it is a legal thing, like to break off a betrothal is a divorce. Um, So the virgin's name is Mary, and it says that Joseph is of the house of David, which is really important, because we know that the Messiah comes from the line of David, and we also know that Mary is a descendant of David, very important. But if you look at verse 32, it says, and he'll be great, and he'll be called the Son of the Most High. So, you know, Son of God. That's uh, (laughs) That's a title that we give Jesus very frequently, and that is communicating Jesus' divinity, And beyond that, he'll be given the throne of his father, David. So in other words, Gabriel is saying this is the Messiah, he is going to reign, and there's going to be no end to his kingdom, which for every human king, their kingdom ends because they die. Like, even if the country doesn't fall apart, it's not their kingdom anymore. But for Jesus, his is going to last forever, right? Important stuff. And then I'm gonna continue in verse 34. And Mary said to the angel, how will this be, since I am a virgin? And the angel said to her, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore the child will be, uh, the child born will be called Holy, the Son of God. And behold, your relative Elizabeth in her old age has also conceived a son, and this is the sixth month of her who was called barren. For nothing will be impossible with God. And Mary said, and Mary said Behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word and the angel departed from her. And one of the things that's valuable is again, like this story is told in parallel to the story of the birth of the John the Baptist. And Zechariah asks the same question, how is this going to be? <laughs> and the angel says, because you didn't believe me, you're gonna be mute until it happens. So Mary asks the same question. And so it's important to know that Mary asks the question out of curiosity, whereas Zachariah asks the question out of disbelief. Like she's saying, you know, how is this gonna happen? She's not saying that she doesn't believe it's going to happen. But then the other thing that's really important to note is that this is the virgin birth. This is the, the foretelling of the virgin birth. So Mary was a virgin and Mary also had a kid. Those things don't mix. Like that's straight up impossible. It doesn't happen. And one of the reasons that it's extremely important that the virgin birth happened is because it's proof that Jesus isn't human or rather that Jesus isn't only human because he doesn't have a human father. And beyond that, it also says that the child born, it says, therefore, the child to be born will be called holy. So one of the things that's important to note about Jesus is that Jesus was born without sin. Like Jesus wasn't born sinful for each of us. When whenever we're born, we are automatically sinners. We're already sinners from the moment that we're born. David in Psalm 51 says in sin, my mother conceived me and I was brought forth in iniquity. So that doesn't describe Jesus. Jesus didn't have a dad. So not only is he not merely human, but he's also born perfect, which is a really big deal. So one thing that's important to note as well, we're gonna kind of de- deal with some, uh, some common misconceptions as we go through this story. There's a few things that people believe about Mary. Any guesses what I'm referring to? What are some things people believe about Mary? She's holy. What do they mean by that, Mary is holy?
1: Like they- Pray
0: through her? Yeah, they pray to Mary. They believe that Mary is without sin. Yeah, they also believe that Mary stayed a virgin for her entire life. And then there are other people that believe that Mary wasn't a virgin at the time of Jesus' birth. So we're going to address all of those. First thing we're going to talk about is, was Mary sinful? Well, in a few verses later, in verse 46... This is Mary after she meets up with Elizabeth, and she's talking to her. And Mary said, my soul magnifies the Lord. This is called the Magnificant. And in verse 47, and my spirit rejoices in God, my Savior. So, what does God save us from? Sin. Sin. Yeah, that's literally it. We're sinners. And because we're sinners, we, ha- we end up going to hell, right? And so God had to send Jesus so that we had you know, payment for that. And so that we could go to heaven. But the only people that God needs to save are sinners. That's it. There is not a single person who has never sinned that can also say, oh yeah, my Savior. So from Mary's own mouth, quote, Mary who never sinned, she says, my Savior rejoices in God, my Savior. So Mary is even saying like, yeah, I'm a sinner. Because the only people that need Jesus to save them are sinners. So that's kind of one important thing. But I'm gonna, I want you guys to turn to Matthew, go to Matthew chapter one, because we've seen a little bit of Mary's side of the story, but you know, Mary is betrothed to Joseph. You know, one day Joseph finds out that Mary is pregnant. How do you think he responds to that? Like if you were a dude and you found out that the person you were engaged to was pregnant and you were like, "Mm, I know that I'm not the father. What might your uh, response be? You
1: are not the
0: father. <laughs> you are not the
1: father. You
0: seen that? I have seen that. That's like the show where everyone's like, I just feel like that's the, one of the funniest things. The fact that there's a show where women go on and they have to get a paternity test because they're not sure who the dad is. I'm like, man, <laughs> I feel like there's... They're
1: either a, they're crying or they're like...
0: They're always, like, super excited. And, like, they're just as surprised as the guy is. It's like, wow, he is the father. And it's like, dude, what have you been doing? <laughs> that wasn't clear. <laughs> you know, if only there was some way for women to know who the father was. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm. <laughs> ah. But anyways, that's always hilarious. That's a complete side note. Yeah, no, but that would not go well. <laughs> yeah. So, Jr so Joseph in Matthew 118 I'll just read this it says now the birth of Jesus Christ took place in this way when his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph before they came together she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit and her husband Joseph being a just and unwilling being a just man and unwilling to put her to shame resolved to divorce her quietly so one thing that you see from Joseph and the Bible thinks very highly of Joseph Bible thinks very highly of Mary. Bible also thinks very highly of Joseph. He's a just man, unwilling to put her to shame. Which one of the things that you see from this time is it's like they bring an adulterous woman to Jesus and they're all trying to stone her. So one of the things that Joseph potentially could have done is like be really vengeful and try to get, you know, this cheater killed. But he doesn't do that. He's like, "Man, I can't marry her, but I don't want to harm her." And so he's going to send her away, which one thing that I think about, do you think that Mary might have told Joseph about the conversation? Like, do you think that Mary might have told Joseph, you know, I, I haven't been with anyone. I'm actually just pregnant by the Holy Spirit.
1: Well, she might have.
0: She might have. Yeah. I feel like she probably did. <laughs> yeah, but she probably did. Like, very likely, Joseph's like, yo, Mary, why are you pregnant exactly? Mary, I'm guessing, told him, like, yeah, no, I'm, uh, this is from the Holy Spirit. It was it was Jesus. Um, and Joseph either didn't have the conversation, that's possible, or he just didn't believe her. Like, that's not a very believable story, you know? I, it's a virgin birth, man. I haven't been with anyone. <laughs> yeah, okay. <laughs> I know how these things works. So my parents explained the birds and the bees to me, but Joseph doesn't believe her. And so, verse 20, but as he considered these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife, for that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. Jesus means God saves, by the way, which is pretty cool name, for he will save his people from their sins. And all this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet, behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel which means God with us. When Joseph woke from sleep, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded him. He took his wife, but he knew her not until she had given birth to a son, and he called his name Jesus. And so first of all, you see that in the same way that Mary believes the angel, Joseph believes the angel. He doesn't even ask a question. He just wakes up and does exactly what he's told. And he believes it completely. Additionally, one thing that's valuable to note, What do you think all of the people who knew Mary and Joseph, and who knew Jesus, thought the situation was?
1: I mean, not what they told him.
0: Right? Not what they told him. Because essentially, they just ended the betrothal early. So they ended the betrothal early, got married, which the purpose for that betrothal is to verify that the wife's not pregnant beforehand. And so when they're ending it early and she's, you know, having a kid like 6 months later, um people have some guesses. And some of the main guesses might be that Joseph and Mary were, you know, doing stuff during the betrothal or before the betrothal, or that Mary had slept around. And so that is what people would have thought about this situation. And I mean, The fact that joseph married her like they didn't necessarily have grounds to actually do anything about it but jesus would have grown up with people believing he was illegitimate which is kind of a big deal like that's not as big of a deal in our current modern day because there's so many more people who are born out of wedlock like that's more and more common but historically that's a massive deal and especially here that's a massive deal and so there's a lot of shame and Stuff that's gonna be put on to Mary and Joseph and on to Jesus as he grows up. But also, verse twenty five, what do you what do you notice about verse twenty five? Anything?
1: In Matthew one. Yeah. It says, but knew her not until so she had given birth to a son and he called his name Jesus.
0: Do you notice the word until Yeah. So one of the things that's really important is people, like I said, one of the things they believe about Mary is that she's without sin. We addressed that a second ago. They also believe that she stayed a virgin for her entire life. Um, But that lovely word, until. What happened? (laughs) As soon as Jesus was born, what did Joseph have the green light to do? this stuff so mary would not have been kept a virgin after that in fact one of the things that you see in first corinthians we talked about this um several months ago now but we talked about how like in the entire purity message where it's like you don't own your body your wife does the wife doesn't own her body the husband does do not deprive each other your conjugal rights except for a time that you might be devoted to prayer lest you'll be uh lest you be tempted So one of the things that Paul talks about is that if you are married, it's actually, like he actually gives instructions. If you are married, it is not okay to have a prolonged period of time where you're not, you know, having intimacy. And so that's kind of one of those little bonus points. Had Mary stayed a virgin for her entire life, that would have been sinful. So not only do we already know that Mary was sinful, We also know that Mary did not stay a virgin her entire life, but also, if you have one, you can't have the other. If Mary was perfect, she could not have been a virgin, and if Mary was a virgin, she was not perfect, because she was married, and one of the responsibilities that comes with marriage is intimacy. Anyways, um, let me see, and yeah, second thing that's also kind of valuable to note is that we know that Jesus had brothers and sisters, which... um, We're not virgin births. So in Mark chapter 3, it talks about Jesus' brothers and sisters. And people will say like, oh, well, you know, when you're in the church, you call each other brother and sister. Like, you know, he's my brother in Christ. She's my sister in Christ. So just because Jesus calls someone his, you know, brother and sister doesn't actually mean that they're his brothers and sisters. So we're actually going to read the section. It's uh, Mark chapter 3, verses 31 to 35. And it's talking about Jesus, and it says, And Jesus' mother and his brothers came, standing outside, they sent to him and called him. So people are like, oh, well, that's that's probably just like, you know, people in the church. And the crowd was sitting around him, and they said, Your mother and your brothers are outside, seeking you. And Jesus answered them, Who are my mother and my brothers? And looking at those who sat around him, he said, Here are my mother and my brothers. For whoever does the will of God, he is my brother and sister and mother so people will be like well obviously anytime it refers to jesus siblings it's his uh it's just the followers of christ but that doesn't actually make sense because it's saying jesus your family members are here and jesus is like those aren't my family members the people who do the will of god are my family members so in other words if that has to mean people in the church then that would be the same thing as jesus saying the people who do the will of god are not my mother and brother and sisters the people who do the will of God are my mother, brother, and sisters. So it just doesn't make sense. Yeah, does that make sense? Yeah. Yeah. So Jesus clearly has brothers and sisters, but also in Mark 6.3, some of them are named. For example, the book of James is written by one of Jesus' brothers. And the book of Jude is also written by one of Jesus' brothers. And so in 6.3, it says, Is not this the carpenter, the son of Mary, and the brother of James, and Joseph, and Judas, and Simon? Are not his sisters here with us? So, again, Jesus uh, had brothers and sisters. Mary was not a virgin. So Mary was not sinless. Mary was not a virgin. Anyways, those are important things. But we're going to actually continue with the story of Jesus' birth now. So in Luke chapter 2, in verse 1, do you want to read 1 to 7? Jackson, you want to take these? Loud and proud. Luke chapter 3, 1 to
1: 7.
0: Uh, two, Luke two one through seven.
1: Now in those days the crew went out from Caesar Augustus that the census be taken of all the inhabited earth. This was the first census while taken while Quirinus was governor of Syria. And everyone on his way to register was everyone was on his way to register for the census, each to his own city. Joseph also went up to Galilee, from Galilee the city of Nazareth to Judea, to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was in the house of the family of David in order to register along with Mary, who was engaged to him, who was with child. While they were there, the days were completed for her to give birth, and she gave birth to her firstborn son, and she wrapped him in cloths and laid him in
0: a manger, because there was no room for them in the inn. In the Mm -hmm. same region, there were some... Oh, you're good. Just to verse 7. Yeah, so some important things to note. First of all, in those days, a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be registered. Like, something that should be noted is that The Bible is extremely specific about when things happened. Which, if you read other religious works like the Quran or the Book of Mormon, it's very much a, like, you know, once upon a time in a faraway land. Like, it doesn't have the specificity and, I guess, concreteness that the Bible has. But the Bible actually, like, puts itself in a position where you can verify the things that it says it says at this time this thing happened you can actually date like when jesus was born if you have the like census records and if you know when caesar augustus sent out this census you'll know when jesus was born because that's when it happened and that kind of thing happens throughout the bible where regularly it talks about different events that you can kind of date the events of the bible with so one of the things that makes the bible stand out among religious works is that it's actually historically accurate and that's actually kind of a big deal, because if God doesn't know what happened historically, what makes you think he knows where you're going to go when you died, right? Like, if God can't get the historical details right, then you're kind of screwed. And so that's kind of a big deal. Like, if the Bible is not historically accurate, um, this is a false religion. As soon as you find out the Bible's not historically accurate, like, literally just leave. Like, that's kind of the stakes. And... Um, And that does not mean that you shouldn't try to disprove it either. Do it, man, go for it. Whenever you have questions about the validity of the Bible, research it. I spent a lot of time, like one of the things that bothered me a lot was how do I know which books are or are not supposed to be in the Bible? Because there's not like an inspired list of these are the books that are in the Bible and then these ones are not. And then like Catholics have different books that we don't have. And it's like, well, okay, how do you know which books are or are not? And I was like, man, it's kind of a big deal. And I looked into it and I was like, okay, let's research it. Let's, let's face, let's put the Bible against all the scrutiny I can manage and let's study it. And eventually I'm sure that the Bible will be vindicated because God wrote the Bible and God knows what happened. And so I did. And like, that's actually one of those things is that you don't have to be scared about testing the Bible because it will prove itself accurate. Like sometimes you have people, have you ever heard it said it's true because the Bible says it, that's actually not right. The Bible says it because it's true. And it's really important that that order is put in the correct way, because it's not like the Bible says something and then despite all of the evidence to the contrary, we still just trust the Bible out of faith. Like that's actually not the case. The reason that, that the Bible says the things it says is because that's actually what happened and because the Bible is accurate. And so you can actually verify the Bible with the things that are outside the Bible, and um, you should do it. It's a great idea. Fantastic exercise. Um, but anyways, that's a side note. But additionally, think about this. It says that they went from the town of Nazareth. So Jesus' family are, Nazarene, are, um, are Nazarenes. And the Old Testament says that the Messiah is going to be of Nazareth. Additionally, the Old Testament says that the Messiah is going to be from Bethlehem. So it's like, okay, how do you do that? Well, one thing that you see is that this census happens at just the right time for Mary and Joseph to be in Bethlehem right when she's giving birth. Which like... It's kind of hard to time someone giving birth down to the day, but God does it. God knew exactly when Mary was going to give birth, and he had a world leader send out a census so that Mary and Joseph could be right where they needed to be at the moment they needed to be there. And that's kind of a big deal. But also, you can learn something interesting about prophecy. So the Old Testament says that the Messiah is going to be born in Bethlehem. Where was the Messiah born? Bethlehem. Bethlehem, right? So one of the ways that that's really helpful when it comes to interpreting prophecy is, you know, was it like, you know, hey, Bethlehem starts with the letter B, and so, like, that's the second letter of the alphabet. So maybe, like, it's, it's about the number two, and then E shows up three times. So maybe it's towards the east. Like, that's the ki- like, that kind of thing. You see that there's a lot of people that they approach biblical prophecies like that where they're like, let's count the numbers and the letters. Let's, uh, let's find the secret meaning under this. And it's like, no. The Old Testament said the Messiah was going to be born in Bethlehem. That wasn't some crazy complex cipher that you needed to crack and find the secret meaning under. It meant that he was going to be born in Bethlehem. <laughs> and that's kind of a way that you can approach prophecy in the Bible, because there's prophecies in the Bible that have not happened yet. And the way to go about that is not to try to like crack the code and get the secret meaning under it. The way to go about that is to be like, okay, what does the prophecy say? Well, that's what's gonna happen. And it doesn't mean that there's not symbolism and it doesn't mean that there's not figures and metaphors. But what it does mean is that if you're trying to do math with the letters, you're an idiot. Like that's really what it comes down to. The Old Testament said that the Messiah was gonna be in Bethlehem. And the Old Testament also said that the Messiah was gonna be of Nazareth. And so Jesus was born in Bethlehem and grew up in Nazareth. So it worked out. But also, he was born. Big deal. Good stuff. But now, to move on to the good stuff, go to Luke chapter 4. So that's Jesus' birth. And we're skipping a bunch of stuff with like the shepherds and the wise men, and we're going to kind of skip over to Jesus' versed message. But it's actually pretty helpful to read this. So if you want to read from verses 14 to 19.
1: Okay. He unrolled the scroll and found the place where it is written. The spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim, proclaim liberty to the captives and recovering of sight to, be, to the blind and to, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor.
0: Mm-hmm. So do you remember what kind of the nature of John's message was? Like when we, learnt, when we read the Isaiah prophecy about John?
1: Kind of like the make way kind of message.
0: Right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, it was like make way. But also, was it like a doom and gloom message or was it like a happy message? The happy
1: message.
0: John the Baptist? Oh.
1: Repeat.
0: Yeah. Yeah. When we read the prophecy about John the Baptist, it talked about how every valley will be filled and every mountain will be laid low and like it's going to be a flat land everywhere. And like that's kind of cataclysmic. So like John the Baptist was a doomsayer, Right. But then you have Jesus and he's saying, the spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives, recovering the sight of the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Like, is that, is that a doom and gloom message? Not, little, not even a little bit. And one of the interesting things to see is that the first message of Jesus has a completely different Note than the first message of John the Baptist. And like some people might read that and they'll be like, you know, it's, it's okay to, pre- to preach uh, judgment, but the better way is to preach the goodness of Jesus. And that's not the point that I'm making because Jesus talks about hell way more than he talks about heaven. Like most of what we know about heaven and hell come from the mouth of Jesus. And Jesus was absolutely a repent because the judgment is coming kind of preacher, but he wasn't just that. And so you kind of see that there's two parts of the gospel there is the judgment that's coming there is the bad news but also there's the good news like jesus is good news and part of what makes jesus good news is the bad news of the judgment that's coming without him but also when you're sharing the gospel you know screaming out the end is near and then trying to yell at people to get them to repent is not necessarily the play at least not exclusively and sometimes people need the judgment and sometimes people need the good news. And part of your wisdom is just understanding, okay, which, what does this person need to hear right now? But there's two parts to that message. But that's pretty cool, right? It's like he goes to Nazareth where he had been brought up and he's going through the synagogues being glorified by all. And you see that people are responding well to this. And in verse 20, it says, and he rolled up the scroll and gave it back to the attendant and sat down. And all of the eyes of the synagogue were fixed on him because that's a big deal. Like in our modern day, when we kind of give messages, we read the Bible, we give commentary on it, and we kind of like give a message that isn't necessarily just reading the words. But for these synagogue services, they didn't have sermons the way that we have sermons. They just read the Bible. Like it was just chunks of the Bible. So when he's giving the scroll of Isaiah back after reading like two verses and then sits down, because he's about to keep talking, yeah, Every eye is glued on him, because this is not the normal service order. <laughs> like, this isn't how that goes. Oh, not for some carpenter who's just doing the reading. But then, and he began to say to them, Today, this scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. In other words, if you want to see what kind of characterizes Jesus' first coming, it's verse 18 and 19. Jesus' first coming was a coming of grace and mercy, and it was the year of the Lord's favor. Like, Jesus was a good gift, right? And he says, today the scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. And all spoke well of him and marveled at the gracious words that were coming from his mouth. And they said, is this not Joseph's son? But then Jesus continues in verse 23, and he said to them, doubtless, you will quote to me this proverb, physician, heal yourself, which that's like kind of brutal. And basically it happens. Jesus is on the cross at the end of his life and everyone's like, come on, if you're the Messiah, come down from the cross. He saved others and he cannot save himself. Like what he just said there is a prophecy about his own death and people actually fulfilled it. So he says, doubtless, you will quote to me this proverb, physician, heal yourself. What we have heard you did at Capernaum, do you do here in your hometown as well? And he said, truly I say to you, no prophet is acceptable in his hometown which we read that in uh, Mark actually. In Mark 6.3, when people are saying, is this not Joseph's son? Are these not his brothers and sisters? Why is he so great? Like when you've been watching someone grow up and they're just a little kid to you and they're like 20 years younger than you, it's a bit harder to regard that person as like your God. Yeah. Right? So it's kind of harder. But he says, truly I say to you, no prophet is acceptable in his hometown. But in truth, I tell you, there were many widows in Israel in the days of Elijah when the heavens were shut up for three years and six months, and a great famine came over all the land. And Elijah was sent to none of them, but only to Zarephah in the land of Sidon, to a woman who was a widow. And there were many lepers in Israel in the time of the prophet Elisha, and none of them was cleansed, but only Naaman the Syrian. So what Jesus just said there is he's referencing some Old Testament stories, and the first one he references in the book of first Kings, Elijah sends a drought all over the land of Israel as part of the judgment of uh, the wicked king at that time. And during that time, like famine is dangerous. When you can't grow crops and you don't have water, people die and people die in a large numbers. And in the modern day, we don't have that problem. Like we have a massive drought in California for however long, we just import food and water from somewhere else. That's not at all how it goes in ancient Israel and in an ancient world. If there's a famine, people are dying and starvation is a rough way to go. So Elijah, he goes to a widow, and this widow only has a little bit of oil and whatnot left to make like a little bit of bread, and then she's like, I'm going to make the last meal for me and my son, and then we're just going to die. And Elijah goes to her, and he says, make me some bread first, which, wow. But then she makes him the bread out of obedience, and God makes it so that that oil and flour doesn't run out the entirety of the drought. So God miraculously provides for this widow and her son, and that was a Gentile. It was not an Israelite. And the same thing happens with Elisha, where he cleanses uh, Naaman the Syrian, which was a leper, which is a, uh, an official in the military of Syria, who comes to Elisha to be clear, cured of leprosy. And Elisha cures him. And again, he was not an Israelite. He was a Gentile. And Jesus says there were people in Israel who were starving that were Jews. There were people in Israel that were leprous and these prophets, they healed Gentiles. And basically what Jesus is saying is I'm not just coming for the Israelites. I'm coming to save the entire world. I'm coming for the Gentiles, as well as the Israelites. And so let's see what, what the uh, Israelites respond to that with. Verse 28, And when they heard these things, all in the synagogue were filled with wrath. And they rose up and drove him out of the town, and brought him to the brow of the hill on which their town was built, so that they could throw him off the cliff. <laughs> but passing through their midst, he went away. <laughs> that's rough that's really rough (laughs) like weren't they just talking about how awesome it was that like man here's this guy from our hometown he's talking about the lord's favor good things are coming he's about to tell us things that we like and then he's like by the way i'm here for the gentiles too and then they tried to kill him (laughs) so people hated jesus and in fact people hated jesus so much that he got crucified (laughs) people really didn't like jesus And the thing is, there are people that did like Jesus. But Jesus goes through his ministry and what you see is that the majority of people didn't. The majority of people were not actual followers of Jesus. Even when Jesus has a massive following, like he feeds the 5,000 and then he has a bunch of people following him and he says, truly I say to you, you are not here to follow me, but you're here because you think I'm gonna give you more food. You're here for the bread. So even during the times in Jesus' ministry where a lot of people were following him, it wasn't even genuine for the most part. And Jesus says, narrow and, um, The gate is narrow that leads to life, and there are few who find it. But the gate is wide that leads to destruction, and there are many who find it. And one of the things that Jesus says, and one of the things that we see in the world, is that it is not the case that people like Jesus. Even from the very beginning of his ministry, he doesn't even say, oh, I'm bringing judgment to you. Jesus isn't even saying anything like unpopular necessarily. He's saying, oh, yeah, I'm here to be nice to you and the Gentiles. And they tried to chuck him off a cliff. So that's kind of one of those things to think about is that it is not the case that everyone likes Jesus. If you speak the truth about Jesus honestly, people will hate you. That's how it goes. Jesus even says, do not be surprised when the world hates you because it hated me before you. A servant is not greater than his master and a disciple is not greater than his teacher. And if they hated me, they will hate you also. And so that's something to kind of think about. Like Jesus is God's greatest gift to the world. Jesus is God. Jesus came. He lived a perfect life. He died so that we didn't have to. But also, sinners don't like Jesus. And so it shouldn't surprise you when people don't like you if you are accurately standing with Jesus but anyways that's the story of Jesus' birth angel comes tells Mary and Joseph that Jesus is coming Uh, we see that Mary is not in fact perfect or a lifelong virgin and we also see that Jesus is the demonstration of God's favor to the world and also people hated him so with that Let's bow our heads, pray it out. We'll have some brief discussion. Lord, thank you for sending Jesus. Thank you that when we sinned, you could have just damned us after that. Lord, when the angels sinned, you created hell. And when humans sinned, you sent your son. You prophesied salvation and you brought it about. Lord, thank you for sending Jesus because Jesus is your favor to the world. Jesus is the greatest gift that you could ever give us, and salvation is the thing that we ultimately need more than anything else. I pray that you would help us to see Jesus for who he is, that we would see him as God, that we would see him as our Savior and our King, and that we would turn to him, and that we would live for him. But also, I pray that we would understand that when we have done that, that that will not be popular with the world. The world doesn't like Jesus. The world hates Jesus. And so, when we accurately represent Him, and when we accurately follow Him, that results in opposition, and I pray that we would be ready for that, and that it wouldn't be surprising to us, but instead, it would demonstrate that we are doing as we ought. But Lord, also, I pray that you would help us to see the compassion and the love that was in Jesus, and the gentleness with which He approached people. And Lord, I pray that you would help us to have the same demeanor, that people would be offended at the gospel we preach, and not the way we preach it. And Lord, we pray these things in the name of our King Jesus Christ. Amen.